Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Andrew Reed on the line. Andrew, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Michael? I am awesome. As I said in the pre-show, I've really been looking forward to this conversation because I think your book and the work that your team does is really important, but especially during this pandemic that we find ourselves in, uh, the the lessons that are taught and learned and, and what you do uh, is really going to help some people. So why don't you share a little bit about you and, and the work that you do? Sure. So I work for a uh, learning and development firm, and we do uh, leadership and sales training as long with you know, what people typically call the soft skills, communication, uh, teamwork, uh, team building. So, And what our focus really on is that uh, all of us show up to the workplace with a set of skills and, and abilities, and we're hired for a reason because we have skills and abilities that the company needs. Uh, but it's tapping into those skills and abilities and really... Uh, bringing the right mindset to work so that you can be as successful as you can be and also connect with the others in the workplace. That is so important. And so we really focus on getting that mindset right and thinking at a deeper level about how we show up uh, in order to uh, tap into the potential of the workplace. It's so amazingly needed. And the work that I do with organizations on burnout prevention and workplace culture and all of that, it's it's, it's quite in unison uh, with that kind of work. And it's things that I see time and time again, where people aren't at their best, which means the work that they do isn't as good as it could be. And it just, it has this ripple effect of all kinds of things as far as the success of the organization, interactions, relationships, you name it. It's, uh, we, we forget how connected we are. And even during this pandemic, when we've all been separated, uh, it, it has brought to light a little bit, you know, that disconnect for some people. I'm sure you've seen that too with the with the teams you work with. Yeah, and it's interesting you use the word burnout, and you see, um, you know, it, you talked about interpersonal and organizational, but it also has an effect on the individual, right? Their personal health, uh, their family relationships, which then it's almost like a feedback loop. I get stressed out at work. I burn out. My family suffers. I suffer. The workplace suffers. And then it continues in this cycle. And we we hope to break that cycle and also just help leaders, uh, you know, get the most productivity out of people and the most creativity. You know, we, we everyone knows that today's market is fast, it's innovative, it's constantly changing. But in order to get that innovation, that creativity, people's basic needs have to be met. You know, Maslow's got his hierarchy of needs and you have, um, you know, your demand needs and your growth needs. Well, we've got to make sure people are feeling healthy, feeling secure, feeling affiliated. And then we can get to that next level where they're bringing in insight, innovation, and, uh, and helping us move forward. I love that. And that's a nice lead into the book and the five superpowers that uh, we all have. And unfortunately, so many of us forget that we have them and stop using them. And, you know, when, you know, looking at the book and and reflecting on those superpowers, again, you know, in the burnout space where I do a lot of work, because those things are absent, I think plays a big part in why people 
get prolonged stressed and then eventually turns into burnout. So uh, why don't you share a little bit about the book, uh, you know, what motivated you and your team to write it, and, and then we can dive into what those superpowers are. Yes, yeah, so it came out of, uh, I mean, I guess you just call it a passion project. Uh, we, we've been thinking about writing this book for probably four or five years. And it was really the realization that uh, a lot of our work gets back to uh, similar themes. And we started talking about, well, what are these themes? And the themes really were, as you see from the book, curiosity, uh, resilience, compassion, playfulness, and authenticity. As we move through our workshops and our different work with clients, we keep hearing, you know, it came back to these five things, but we also had the realization that these five things are, are they're things that you see out in, in people, right? We see them out in the world, but you especially see them in children. Young children have these things. They're born with these. They're almost innate. And uh, I was a kindergarten teacher for several years. And you see it show up in the classroom. And then what we learned is they lose it. You know, you lose it along the way. All of us lose it in varying degrees. Sometimes we lose it and get it back. But um, the journey of, of our thinking is, you know, growing up and, and getting out into to the modern workforce really uh, dims our ability to tap into these things, right? We're, we're, we see them less and less, or we only find finite spaces to use them in. But if we become more mindful and, and more thoughtful about how we tap into these, uh, the, everybody benefits. And so I think that's where, that's sort of the evolution of our process. And your kindergarten teacher skills definitely would have uh, helped with, with this book because it, it's looking at the creativity and the playfulness and just watching you know, the children's brains develop and learning things and testing things and just, you know, engaging with people. It, it's, it's quite the incubator in a way, you know, and, and it's just, you know, having three kids of my own and, you know, they're all adults now, but I do remember, you know, going into the school and, you know, for show and tell or some type of event and, and seeing all of these little minds and all these future leaders is how I looked at them. It's like, okay, all of these people are going to have impact in their world. And I'm seeing it at the very early stages and it's really cool to see. But yeah, as you said, you know, over time we lose those things because of, situations and enlightenment from other people saying, okay, well, no, you got to focus on this. Sometimes they tell, you know, yeah, you, you got to grow up, you got to you know, behave or <laughs> you got to act like an adult. And, uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of adults and I think some of them, you know, miss that memo and they aren't, which is good. That's kind of, it keeps me young. That's yeah. for sure. And then, and then there's others that, you know, they, they need a little bit more childhood creativity and, and playfulness in their lives. So I, not that any of those five superpowers weigh more than another, but uh, in your work, do you see certain trends or sectors or types of individuals where you know maybe they're a little weaker in some of those areas and stronger in others? I wouldn't say sectors as a whole, but you see, I would say it, it goes organization by organization. Where and even I mean, you can get into more granular team by team, but but broader. If we take a broader look at organizations, there are some that don't want to tap into this playfulness. They want, you know, they want people to show up. That there's you know the term like you know, uh, 
You got to be professional, you know, um, but that means a broad range. Some, some groups mean it just means showing up, right? Showing up with some presence, right? Other groups, it means show up the same as everybody else. Suit, tie, you know, sir, ma'am, all, you know, very rigid structures. And so that tends to be the one where you see a lot of sway. We've worked, curiosity used to be a, a big one. People, there are certain organizations that still, they, they promote curiosity, but what that looks like in theory versus practice is difficult, right? So they tell their, their employees, well, you should ask better questions. But if I don't teach you how to ask better questions, if I don't show you what a better question is, you can't fulfill that, that, uh, that curiosity that we're looking for. Uh, so that's the, those are two examples of what we see. Compassion is a big one too. You know, it's one thing, we always have this tension of people want to be compassionate to other people, to the individual, but then they have to balance it with the, the productivity needs of the organization. What they don't realize is that you can do both and, they're, and you have to get creative about doing both. And that's a you know a heavy lift for managers, but that is why you're a manager, right? You're not a problem solver. You're not there to to fix the the work of of the people that you lead. You're there to help make the team flow well, right? And really um, navigate those difficult waters. And so I think that that tends to be another one where we see a lot of <laughs> big range of organizations on from one you know one end of the spectrum to the other. I see a lot of managers struggle too because you know they were saying, okay, here, here's your department or here's a project or things like that. And for some reason, they don't give them an instruction manual. So it's like trying to, <laughs> it's like putting together IKEA furniture without the manual. You know, thankfully now you could download it if for some reason it isn't in the box, you know, with the 40,000 pieces of stuff. And you're like, mm, okay, how's this going to work? Um, I, and now I, whenever I get something like that, you know, thankfully my better half is better than me at putting those things together. So, <laughs> so she, and she knows she is, mm, yeah, no, I'll do it. I'll put it together. Um, although I put together a, basically a plant stand uh, a couple of months ago because we have a bunch of plants out on our balcony and winter time in the area that we're in came in says okay we got to bring those in so we found a a stand and i put it together one day she came home and she looked and you know first question i think in her head she didn't ask this but i think she thought it's like okay who'd you have over to put that together but no it was me and then she kind of you know gave it the you know, kind of like, is this going to be sturdy? Am I going to have dirt all over? Yeah, is, is, is this a little wobbly? And it's like, no, it's like, wow, this is actually pretty solid. I'm like, yeah, I, I did something weird. I followed the instructions because I'm one of those. <laughs> What's the outcome? How do we get there? All right, let's do it. And, you know, it's sometimes I get impatient when it comes to that. But I think that's, and, and one of the things you mentioned too about, I like using the phrase empathy. Sometimes there are people that are more empathetic than others in certain things. And some have gone through a lot of challenges or they work through a lot of things in life. And that gives them sometimes uh, a little bit more empathy when they're working with their team on moving things forward. Because again, a lot of these people have never done what we're asking them to do and expecting them to be able to do it you know, it's hopefully they know how to find the answers or where to ask for them or how to research it. Because if you just say, well, you should just know how to do it. That doesn't, that demeans them. It's like, no, they don't. That's why they're asking you. So that's an opportunity to go, okay, well, let's see if we can figure this out together or 
I know somebody else in the department that has done this. Let's pair you up and do that. Just again, uh, in a managerial setting, you want your team, using a sports analogy, you want them to play together. If they play together well, you're going to win. And that's ultimately what you want to do as a manager. It doesn't matter what kind of organization you're in, is to have that winning mindset to say, okay, we're going to move things forward. We're going to do things better. We're going to deliver better products and services to our customers, which is going to make our business better, which is going to provide growth, which is going to provide compensation opportunities and benefits. And, you know, it's, again, that ripple effect of just doing things well will pay off in in the short term and ultimately the long term. Yeah, definitely. And, it, you know, you said a couple of things that remind, that uh, demonstrate that some of these things go in tandem with each other, right? Like here, I, I said that there's threads through them, but managers, uh, they can have that compassion, but should go with curiosity. So if you're, if you're struggling with a project, um, I've got to be curious about how you're going to approach it. Like, why are you struggling? What, you know, what, what are you, how are you thinking you're going to approach this, right? To get at your mindset. Um, but then also I got to stoke your curiosity and say, you know, so what should you be looking into? What do you think, you know, where are we going? And by allowing, by asking you questions and getting your perspective on what you, you know, what it, what it entails or what next steps you should be taking, I'm getting a vision into your problem solving method, right? How you approach problems. Uh, Cause that's important to me as a manager to know <laughs> what value decisions you're making, what, what risks you're willing to take. Um, and it also helps you feel empowered, right? Cause you have, if you come up with a good process, maybe you have a better process than I have in my mind. Um, that, then that allows you to feel that success. If I just tell you what to do, you've done a great, it's sort of like uh, when you make a recipe, when you cook something good, you feel good. You're like, oh, I, I completed that. But when you make something totally new or when you create something or, or, or have come up with the plan f- for a meal and execute it all, it, it's, a, it's a higher level of, of success. And that's what we want people to feel. Want to feel that ownership, that empowerment, uh, and ultimately, you know, that reward of having got completed it. And creating an environment where that can happen uh, is is great. You know, the people that I've led uh, in various aspects of my career, my goal was always to create an opportunity for them to grow and either move on or get promoted or whatever the case may be. And I worked in healthcare for quite a while and, you know, had, you know, nurses that ended up being, you know, managers and directors, you know, down the road in in the future, which just, I, I just thrive on that going, wow, I create, I didn't, only thing I did was make sure that the opportunities were there for them to take the ball and run with it. I didn't do their work. They did. Uh, but creating an environment like that where those people could thrive. And of course, my managers would, you know, some of them would be mad. It's like, well, we lost a great employee. Yes, but we prepared them to do great things in the sector, which is you know, a bigger pie, not outside of our four walls. And sometimes leaders and managers don't see that. They see this is our block. This is our square. We're not going to care about anything external to that. But it's like, no, you, you help somebody on that and you have that mindset. Then what that does is everybody else in your organization starts looking and going, oh, wow, they actually were promoted. They grew. Well, what can I do about this? And it, it just improves everything in the environment. 
It's an abundancy versus a scarcity mindset. If you think that talent is scarce and you want to retain people, there's a different set of actions. And if you think, you know, we can develop people here, we can have an abundance of talent and, uh, and that, and the view that person moving on to a new organization that that is also, you know, your biggest advocate because, Hey, I went, I worked for this company and they helped develop me. They gave me the skills I need. I mean, every company I think wants that kind of free press right now, right? Go work there. They'll teach you the skills you need. They'll, you know, there's, there's opportunities. That's what you want um, for your organization. So I think it, you know, you said it's a different risk calculation, but I think that you always err on, if you invest in people and you show them that you're going to develop them, no matter the outcome that builds a caring trust with B as an employee and it can only benefit you. I agree. And, and that's a great segue to, you know, the great resignation, which we briefly talked about in, in the pre-show where this pandemic, people working remotely or hybrid and all of that, it started creating some things that quite frankly were percolating. And I was seeing, and I'm sure you did too, uh, for quite a long time. You know, people were stressed. They were burning out. We're, we've seen a ton of new business launches over the last few years, people venturing out to be their own entrepreneur, which I've often said there are people that are better skilled than that than others. Doesn't mean that you wouldn't be successful in a business, but there are some people that you know don't necessarily have the current skill set to be able to be successful as an entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean they can't learn it. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because again, with these superpowers, that people want to nurture and grow and all of that. If the environment they're in doesn't provide that. And as you said before too, the organization that these individuals are with are more of a scarcity mindset, then there's going to be this, we're never in a line type of thing. And that's why you're seeing a lot of people, I think anyway, um, you know, decide, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to take another role. I'm going to take potentially less compensation, but also right now with everybody resigning, that may not be a problem because people are going to pay more to get top talent. So I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit on around the great resignation and, and how it ties into you know, the work that you're doing with the superpowers and all of that. Yeah, I think um, it's been interesting because you're right that these these issues have been percolating for a while, and uh, you know people want more autonomy over their work is a big part of it, right? Uh, they want to feel valued by the organization. They want to feel value in the work that they do, which is has been time immemorial, right? People always wanted that out of their work, um, but having the pause, I think, has accelerated some of that in a lot of of people. You also have uh, this sense right before the the uh, the pandemic started back in March of 2020. I want to say it was like February of 2020 that I had started to hear it a lot more often. People used started using a phrase "work life integration," and someone had said that phrase. You know, it's it's not work life balance, but they you have to do both at the same time, right? So you have to work and live all you know all hours of the day. And it just struck me as such a this, there was this creeping sense that work was becoming ever more a part of your, of your life, that, that personal life was being edged out and work life was seeping into that space. And I think when you look at burnout, when you look at people who want uh, what people want in this 
in this now transition to whatever the next phase of of our working world is going to be uh you're seeing a lot more of flexible hours flexible scheduling right uh better uh paid time off right um and in balance with compensation compensation is always important but as you said it might not be the main driver it is all of these other things that i have to and i think it i think what employees are saying now too is work became too much of my life and now that I've had a pause and I've got to really reevaluate what's going on and what and, you know, spend more time with my kids. I mean, I know for me, my oldest two children were born at a time. My oldest child, I was uh, working full time and in grad school full time. And my second child, I was a teacher, which anyone knows, uh, you know, teacher hours are not eight to three. <laughs> but, uh, so it, it's a brutal schedule during during the school year. Uh, and then with this child, um, I was working, I was traveling and then everything just halted and he was about nine months old and I got to be around him all the time. And it was like, look at all of the things I had missed. Look at all of the, the milestones that I had seen on video, you know, seen on a, on a three inch screen instead of in person. And you just realize that I don't want, I think, I think a lot of people, um, especially in, in my generation and, and, and the Gen Z folks, I don't want work-life integration. I want work-life balance again. I want a work that makes sense to fit with, with life so that I can feel good going to work every day. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And it's, it's different for everybody. And as you know, the conversations that I've been having with individuals and teams, yeah, I, I think about a couple colleagues of mine that used to work with uh, an organization uh, almost a decade ago, which alarms me that it's almost a decade ago. But uh, <laughs> when I did my original career was accounting, so I can somewhat do math and I realized, yeah, it's a decade ago, but these are two polar opposite type of individuals. One is very, outgoing and loves travel and just loves people and being around people. The other one is the Wikipedia definition of introvert and does data analysis, does a lot of things very passionate about what they do. And saying that, you know, observation and people would say, okay, well, person A who's outgoing and extroverted and all that stuff is probably missing the office and really wants to be back in the office with people. And the introvert thinks this pandemic is the greatest thing that's ever happened because they don't have to deal with people face-to-face -face and all that. It's actually the opposite for both of them. The one that's extroverted is like, I don't care if I ever sit inside an office again. And the introvert's like, I got to get in the office to see people. And it, it's, it's the, when, when I'm, I'm like, and I know them well, so I'm like, I, I understand it, but it's still kind of a little bit of, a, you know, playing with the mind a little bit. But being able to do the work that you feel is important, utilize your skills, continue to grow, and do things that are impacting your customers, society, whatnot, but also be able to enjoy those moments that are fleeting. You know, I've got three adult children. And again, I like how in the world is my oldest going to be in their mid twenties? I'm like, I will, what, but I know again that that's what's happened. And thankfully, you know, even as busy as I was in a lot of the work, I was still able to catch many of those moments. Uh, each of them was a little bit different, but as time goes on and, you know, it, you know, people like my age, I have uh, my mom who 
my brother is a caregiver for. And you know, many of us are starting to get into that type of situation where we have to do some things outside of the office to take care of loved ones or friends or whatnot. And that often coincides with when we are quote unquote working that nine to five Henry Ford 40 hour design that is <laughs> antiquated. And I'm originally from Detroit, so it's probably blasphemy for to me to bad mouth <laughs> Henry Ford. Um, but and I had family that worked in the sector and worked for my grandfather worked for Ford Motor Company. So I'm I'm not knocking Ford, but work has to evolve to what the needs of society are and it can be have your cake and eat it too type of thing. And I, I think, especially for those of us that have younger children and we were still working remotely, but still kind of doing that, a lot of things to do, but also we had to make sure that we were helping our kids with their schoolwork because they were home doing online schooling and you'd pop in and make sure they were on the computer. And then you'd look at the screen and make sure it was actually schoolwork and not <laughs> mine, Minecraft or something yeah. else. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, the computer's over there. Let's put the PS five maybe in the other part <laughs> of the house. So if we see them sneaking by while we're on a zoom call, you know, going over, you know, second quarter projections, we're like, mm, where are they going? And, you know, and, then you just have to, you know, that's that's when everybody started buying all these cameras, not not for Zoom calls, just to make sure that our kids were actually doing their schoolwork. Because, well, some of them weren't. But anyway, long story short, I think it's a great opportunity for organizations, and I know you do a ton of work around this, and individuals to sit down and talk and say, okay, what does work look like for you going forward? How would you like it to? To be, this is an opportunity. It's like, let's redesign how we work. What makes sense? How are you able to do the things that our customers need right now and match that up with what your needs are and start shaping it? And I think the organizations that are thriving and retaining people are having those conversations. It always strikes me. You brought up Henry Ford, which I thought was great because, uh, you know, here he was a, an innovator of his time, and you have all of you have all of these things and all of these companies that are like, we want to be innovative, we want to be cutting edge, we want to you know, be a market leader, um, and yet we still keep. You know, one of the things that uh, we talked about with resilience is undo practices that don't work anymore, and some of those practices might be the eight-hour workday or the nine to you know the nine to five, uh, forty hours a week, whatever it is. We can reimagine. You know, it doesn't have. People also think of it as an either or, right? We're either going to be virtual or we're going to be in person. You can have a hybrid model. You can have uh, hybrid teams. You can have, there are so many different ways that you can just reimagine the space now and then continue to reimagine it. Why do we have to get into a fixed block? Uh, because that only puts strains on your ability to be resilient. It also puts a strain on your compassion. You talked about uh, being a caregiver. Uh, being a caregiver looks different for everybody. You know, the, the, the caregiving um, in some aspects, maybe one hour of your week, maybe four hours of your week for other people. It may be every hour that you're not working, you are, you are, you know, actively giving care to somebody else. And so we as lead, anyone who's a leader needs to take the information that you are caring for somebody, but then harness that curiosity and that compassion and say, well, what does that look like for you? You know, ha, ha, what do you need for me to, to be able to balance that along with this? 
Um, and by being curious and gaining and, and genuinely connecting with you, I've got your trust and buy-in because you know that I care about you and that I'm trying to make this work with you. And I have a window into what other stressors are going on for you outside of the, the time I am with you. So there's something happens if there's a project that I, I can uh, step in quicker and say, what's going on here? Do you need a little bit more support? What, you know, what, what can we do to make this? Um, so as leaders, we benef- we only benefit by being compassionate and curious towards our employees. And I think that's, again, employers using some of their own superpowers to make life better for, for everybody involved. So, Andrew, I've loved this conversation. Probably could talk to you for about six days straight on all of this, but uh, want to, you know, obviously recognize your time and, and everybody else's as well. So, where can people find out more about you and all this awesome work you're doing? Yeah, so we, I work for the JM Reed Group. So you can find us at jmreedgroup.com. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. And then we've also written this book, which I hope, I mean, it's a short read. I think it's like 100 pages, <laughs> 120 pages. And it's uh, the five lost superpowers, uh, why we lose them and how we get them back. And I think, you know, I hope people find it valuable in this time um, because there, there are so many things that we can do to just be our best selves. It definitely, and I'll definitely have that information and a link to the book in the show notes. So, Andrew, again, thank you so much for the awesome work you're doing. And thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you too, Michael. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.